Welcome to another episode of the Superpowered Fancast. This is Darren. Now, I don't know if it's providence or divine intervention or some unseen hand in the universe guiding this podcast, but this episode, which is episode 30 of the Superpowered Fancast, happens to coincide with the 30th anniversary of Star Trek The Next Generation. So, Star Trek The Next Generation aired uh, September of 1987. And it ran for seven seasons. So in honor of the series, in fact, in fact, in honor of the series that was, in essence, my Star Trek. Now, my uh, stepdad uh, introduced me to the original Star Trek when I was a little kid and I loved it. But Next Generation was my my Star Trek. So in honor of that um, of that series, I decided to just do for this episode a list uh, and describe two of my favorite episodes from all seven seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation. So just kind of jump into it um, to go with season one. Now, the first episode I'm going to talk about is uh, season one, episode 23, uh, Skin of Evil. Now, Skin of Evil originally aired April 25th, 1988. And the reason why I enjoyed it is because it's significant in two ways. One, because... It's the almost the tail end of the season. So there wasn't like a huge uh, season finale for the first season because a lot of people didn't actually think that the show would last uh, longer than one. But it also is the episode that actually killed off a main character. So this is the uh, the episode in which um, the Enterprise uh, is diverted to find the shuttle find a crash shuttle that um that contains counselor troy and while they when they send down the away team to rescue troy they discover a creature named armis uh, armis has no conscience in fact he's uh he's told the away team and the captain that he is the uh physical personification of evil you say you are true evil shall i tell you what true evil is it is to submit to you. It is when we surrender our freedom, our dignity, instead of defying you. I will kill you and those in there. But you will still be here, in this place, forever, alone, immortal. And to prove that, he kills uh, Chief Security Officer Natasha Yar. And... Um, the episode is significant because, again, no one knew at the time, especially I didn't know it at 11 years old. About, I didn't know anything about contract negotiations or uh, someone wanting to leave a series after the first season. But apparently uh, actress Denise Crosby wanted to leave the show and she had uh, fulfilled her contractual obligations and decided that um, she wanted to leave. So the production decided they were going to kill off her character and. It was a surprise because you know you're you're in the you're in all the promo um, all the promo art all the pictures you get all the magazines I get I would get uh, Starlog and Wizard and they'd have pictures of the cast and it would be um, and she'd be part of it so you didn't think that you didn't think that her character would die and it was so significant because uh, in that episode like you see uh, Doctor Crusher like uh, do everything within her power to try and bring Tasha back and. You've seen on the original series, you've seen McCoy do more with less to bring someone back from the dead, especially a main character. So there wasn't that sense of permanence that there was uh, until 
the end of the episode and they realized there was nothing else they could do. So that was a, it, it was interesting to me. And it was one of, it was one of my favorite episodes, not necessarily because Tasha died, but because there was the scene at the end at her, uh, I guess you call it a funeral. Uh, it's at her funeral where she apparently uh, recorded a message to, to everyone, um, just kind of laying out what she, what she learned from them as members of a family. Because if you know anything about Tashi, you know, she grew up an orphan on her, on her planet and escaped, uh, escaped it because it's in a, a state of perpetual war. So that part was significant in how she kind of had a personal message for each member of the crew. And that's, um, that was a that was a really pivotal scene, a really interesting scene, and I'm gonna play the audio for that uh, right now. We're here together to honor our friend and comrade, Lieutenant Natasha Yar. Coming to terms with the loss of a colleague is perhaps the most difficult task we must face in the work we have chosen to pursue. We will all find time to grieve for her in the days that are ahead. But for now, she has asked that we celebrate her life with this. Hello, my friends. You are here now watching this image of me because I've died. It probably happened while I was on duty and quickly, which is what I expected. Never forget I died doing exactly what I chose to do. What I want you to know is how much I loved my life and those of you who shared it with me. You are my family. You all know where I came from and what my life was like before. But Starfleet took that frightened, angry young girl and tempered her. I have been blessed with your friendship and your love. Will Riker, you are the best. You trusted me, you encouraged me, and most of all, you made me laugh. Deanna. You are capable of so much love. You taught me without ever having to say a word. I realized I could be feminine without losing anything. Ah, Worf. We are so much alike, you and I. Both warriors, orphans who found ourselves this family. I hope I met death with my eyes wide open. Beverly, your fierce devotion comes from within. It can't be diminished. From you, I have learned to strive for excellence, no matter what the personal cost. Wesley, I'm sorry I won't be able to see you grow into the exceptional man you'll become. But your kindness, and innocence are ageless. Geordie. 
In those moments I felt the most despair. You took my hand and helped me to see things differently. You taught me to look beyond the moment. My friend, Data. You see things with the wonder of a child. And that makes you more human than any of us. Captain Jean-Luc Picard. I wish I could say you've been like a father to me. But I've never had one, so I don't know what it feels like. But if there was someone in this universe I could choose to be like, someone who I would want to make proud of me, it's you. You who have the heart of an explorer and the soul of a poet. So, you'll understand when I say, death is that state in which one exists only in the memory of others, which is why it is not an end. No goodbyes, just good memories. Hailing frequencies closed, sir. of this gathering confuses me. Oh, how so? My thoughts are not for Tasha, but for myself. I keep thinking how empty it will be without her presence. Did I miss the point? No, you didn't, Data. You got it. Okay, so that was uh, Skin of Evil. That was the first episode from the from the twenty third episode from the first season that that I enjoyed. The second one would be Conspiracy. Now that was season one, episode twenty five. Now this was the episode that was actually before the season finale. So there was again, once again, there was no like arc to the season. It was just kind of the first season episode. And this one is significant and actually had resonance to me at eleven because it was it was kind of gross like you never thought you would see what happened on that episode on star trek for anything so you you have the return of um lieutenant remick from who was in a previous episode who uh who came on board to kind of uh he was a taskmaster and basically somebody that everybody hated uh, but he returns and you actually have a a true conspiracy you have picard being divert 
diverting the Enterprise to meet with some meet with fellow captains on a deserted planet and have them tell and to them, you know, trying to figure out what's going on and he, and him being told that there's something happening to Starfleet Command. So then, you know, they 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 get into the more uh, disgusting elements of the show like you have this the little slug aliens that apparently have bored into people uh into the members of uh, Starfleet command and you see like the little proboscis uh sticking out of the back of their necks and then you have Picard uh being invited to dinner and having them sitting down and opening the lid and there's just like a bowl full of maggots just squirming around and just seeing like all of them like picking them up with their hands and like uh, put them in their mouths, it was just it was absolutely gross. And even the the worst part is is that then they chase Remick to uh, to the subspace communications room and uh, fire on him, and then you literally see like his head explode and this giant slug creature like coming out of his uh, coming out of his exploded uh, his exploded torso. So that was, uh, I mean, for an 11 year old kid, that was, that was gross with it. Big for 11, 11 year old kid like me, that was fascinating. Like I absolutely enjoyed it. So those were my two favorite episodes from season one. Now going into season two, um, it started to get more cerebral, like, and, and which I enjoyed. So the first episode I would say from, from season two that I enjoyed was, uh, the measure of a man. Now, this episode uh, was season two, episode nine, and it originally aired um, February 13th, 1989. So this one was kind of the pivotal episode that had to deal with data. Now, if you had uh, subsequent episodes that dealt with data as far as whether he's considered sentient or whether he's considered a person and people trying to exploit him because he's an android or people trying to recreate him. But this is the one that kind of set the tone for those future episodes. Like you have episodes where Data decides to create another android and then there's the uh, repercussions of that when he when he decides to create a child. Um, and then there's the, the episodes dealing with uh, his, I'm using air quotes, brother lore who's another uh sung type android who has emotions so that um so you deal with those episodes are uh in the future but the first one you deal with is the measure of a man and in that episode uh, you have a a scientist a starfleet scientist who has petitioned to uh download data's memories to uh, to the Starfleet mainframe, and then take data apart piece by piece, like in order to make more of them. And Data, who has studied the scientist's work and has found flaws, and has decided he does not want to submit to being taken apart piece by piece because honestly, he can't. He doesn't trust this guy to be able to put him back together. So he refuses. And the scientist then petitioned Starfleet that data is property, that he is not an officer in anything other than name only, that because he's a piece of property, he's property of Starfleet and must submit to uh, submit to the tests. So data decides to leave Starfleet, but they won't let him because, again, his status as a person has not been 
has not been established, is not part of case law. So in order to allow Data to have his, either his freedom to, to leave Starfleet or his right to say no to an, to an experiment he doesn't, uh, he doesn't believe is going to be successful and could result in his, uh, in his death, um, they have a trial to determine whether or not data is an actual person. And because it's a, you know, it's, it's in deep space. There are two advocates, one advocate on both sides. Uh, uh, Data goes to Picard, to Captain Picard to advocate on his behalf that he's a person. And he then goes to the next ranking officer, which would be commander Riker because commander Riker then has to prove that data is not a person, which Riker is, Reluctant to do so because not only does he is uh, Data a colleague, but he considers Data a friend. So there's a, a really interesting uh, duality in how well Riker is at basically making the argument that Data is not a real person. And his argument is so compelling that it's actually probably one of the best scenes of the series. And I've got the audio for that I'm going to play now. I request to be allowed to remove the commander's hand for your inspection. Objection. Doesn't matter. Objection withdrawn. Proceed, commander. I'm sorry. Commander is a physical representation of a dream, an idea conceived of by the mind of a man. Its purpose, to serve human needs and interests. It's a collection of neural nets and heuristic algorithms. Its responses dictated by an elaborate software written by a man. Its hardware built by a man. And now, and now a man will shut it off. Pinocchio is broken. Its strings have been cut. Now, one of the things I really loved about that scene is that not only does he does it allow for the poetic, but it also is it's very just matter of fact. Like he doesn't mince words. There's no hesitation in it until you, you know, you get to the end of that scene and he just kind of sits there after he's made his argument and just kind of puts his head in his hands like, you know, oh shit, what did I do? And it's, um, it's just interesting to see. And even Picard, you can see in that moment, like Picard does not know whether or not he can actually make this argument because of how well Riker has done in kind of proving his point. So that, um, that's interesting. Even the, um, even the final verdict in the case is interesting enough because it allows for it allows for many different arguments on not only what is sentience what is actual sentience but what if you know in the criteria for for sentience is met and you still go ahead what is your responsibility to this new form of life 
that you're that you're creating or that you're hoping to replicate? Like, what do they become after that if they have uh, self-awareness? Your Honor, a courtroom is a crucible. In it, we burn away irrelevances until we are left with a pure product, the truth, for all time. Now, sooner or later, this man or others like him will succeed in replicating commander data. Now, the decision you reach here today will determine how we will regard this creation of our genius. It will reveal the kind of a people we are, what he is destined to be. It will reach far beyond this courtroom and this one android. It could significantly redefine the boundaries of personal liberty and freedom, expanding them for some, savagely curtailing them for others. Are you prepared to condemn him and all who come after him to servitude and slavery? Your Honor, Starfleet was founded to seek out new life. Well, there it sits. Waiting. So that's a measure of a man. Uh, the next episode from season two that I want to talk about is uh, episode 13. And this one is called Time Squared. And it originally aired April 3rd, uh, 1989. Now, this one... This one is not a whole lot of dialogue, which I actually kind of like. It's like, it's the reason why it, I like this episode is because it really is about Picard kind of questioning himself. And you always got the sense from the first season and even going into the second season, just how confident Picard is in who he is as not only a Starfleet officer, but also as a captain. So the fact that you have a, a Picard from the future, who shows up in a shuttlecraft and can't be communicated with, but has left the enterprise who has abandoned the enterprise before it's been destroyed. It's interesting to see how the, the, the present day Picard is frustrated with his future self who, because he can't understand why he would ever make that decision. And even the fact that, um, the fact that the decision that he makes, even towards the end of that episode, as they're as they're trapped and trapped in the the vortex, and the the circumstances play out uh, the same way before, it you can see uh, not only Picard's frustration with himself, but even when future Picard starts to you know meld with the with the timeline you can see just the determination that Picard has been known for play out against itself. So it's an, it's a interesting character study in duality of purpose. And that's one of the reasons why I enjoy that episode. Now going into season three, uh, you did have some significant changes, not a whole lot of huge changes, but the ones that were made were significant. Like you had the, the change in uniforms, which I kind of like. they kind of went from the, from the unitard look to uh, to the tunics, which lead, which kind of led to one of my favorite memes, which is just Picard like constantly pulling down his tunic in every scene because it's always kind of just kind of riding up on him with the huge shoulders. But um, you had that, and you had Wesley um, becoming a an acting ensign, so you kind of had the 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 character who was the point of who was the child, the only child on the. Uh, on the series, like his point of view, him finally becoming a member of the crew instead of just being like the kid who shows up every once in a while. So 
And I promise that not all of these choices are going to be Picard heavy, but you know, you have a classically trained actor. You have a member of the Royal Shakespeare company as the captain of a, uh, of a starship. You're going to have some, some moments where he's just able to, he's just going to act the, he's going to act the fuck out of something. So it's, it's interesting to just kind of see, it's interesting to talk about because those performances are so dynamic. So the episode I want to talk about is episode 23 of season uh, three, and it was called uh, Sarek. And the episode aired May 14th, 1990. And it's significant in many ways because one, it's the, it's beyond having, um, Dr. McCoy on the first episode encountered Farpoint. This is the first appearance by a, by someone from the original series. So you have like, uh, Spock's father, Sarek played by Mark Leonard, um, on the, on the episode. And it's, it's also a good episode because it deals with, it, it deals with age. I mean, it deals with age and aging and, things that happen as one gets older and, you know, Sarek being a Vulcan Vulcans are, you know, prized for their, for their logic, for their control of emotion. But you, there is a level of, uh, of Vulcan physiology that is empathic. So what's interesting about the episode is that you have Sarek, who's been the Vulcan ambassador for, uh, at this point, like centuries, and he is dealing with. I mean, he's pushed himself so far in negotiations with an alien race that he has. You know, he's he's starting to show breaks, and then it turns out that he has Bendai syndrome, which is a a degenerative disease that affects Vulcans um, specifically their ability to control their emotions and because of the empathic nature of Vulcans and the, uh, and his handler trying to kind of keep him in check. The reason why everybody kind of finds out about this is because as they're exuding their control over Sarek's emotions, everyone else's emotions are going insane. Like just clashes of violence, just violent outbursts, um, between members of the crew, like Picard just screaming at Riker, uh, Wesley and Jordy screaming at each other, a fight breaks out in 10 forward. Just, uh, just the fact that, and, and there's a concert on the ship and you see Sarah crying. Like that's all of these, uh, instances of, uh, emotional outbursts. Is, those are the clues that lead, uh, Picard to, finally confront Sarek. And if you know anything about, you know, the, the world of Star Trek, like Sarek is a hero. You don't, you know, he's a hero to not only the Vulcans, but also the Federation. Like he's, he's one of the people who brokered peace with the Klingons. Like he's one of those people where he's an, he's the elder statesman. You don't, uh, you don't question his ability. You don't question his, his intellect. And you certainly don't question especially with him being a Vulcan, you don't question his control of his emotions. So just the moment when he confronts, uh, Sarek about, um, about his Bendai syndrome and the decision that they make to, 
because in order to the, the Lagarins, which is the the uh, the species that they're meeting to uh, to have negotiations with, will only deal with Sarek. So in order to actually bring peace to this planet, Picard does a risky move and decides to mind meld with Sarek. So he's going. So Sarek transfers all of his emotional to- turmoil to Picard so that he can go and negotiate with the Lagarins. And it leads to, I mean, and it leads to one of the most melodramatic scenes in the series, but probably one of the, one of, one of really great kind of acting exercises from Picard, where not only do you get, you know, uh, Patrick Stewart just kind of, you know, acting the hell out of a scene, but you get, um, you get insight into Sarek. I mean, he just the fact that he kind of breaks down and talks about how he loved his first wife, Amanda, and how much he regrets never being able to show her uh, the tenderness that uh, that she deserved, how much he loves his son, Spock, like all of these things. Like you get to see that emotion portrayed by Patrick Stewart uh, in the in that moment. So I'm going to play just the the audio of that just so you can just even without seeing it. Just vocally, you can kind of, you can imagine how powerful a performance that is. No! It is, it is wrong. It is wrong! A lifetime of discipline washed away, and in its place... (laughs) Bedlam! Bedlam! I'm so old, there is nothing left but dry bones, dead friends. Tired. Oh, so tired. It will pass, all of it. Just another hour or so. You're doing fine. Just hold on. No! This weakness disgusts me. I hate it! Where is my logic? Betrayed by desires. Oh, I want to feel. I want to feel everything. But I am a Vulcan. I must feel nothing. Give me back my control. Jean Luke.
Chevrolet. I'm here, Shondon. I'm not going anywhere. It's quite difficult. The anguish of the man. Despair. Pouring out of him all those feelings. The regrets. Don't even try. So the next episode I'm going to talk about, in fact, is kind of going to be a, a bit of a cheat because it's going to be not only the second episode of the third season I'm going to talk about, but also the first episode of the fourth season because it's a two-parter. It is probably the, the, the seminal two-part episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, and that is The Best of Both Worlds. The Best of Both Worlds was, uh, was started off as uh, episode 26 of season three and originally aired uh, June 8th, 1990. And also the second part, episode one of season four, that aired September 24th of 1990. Now, I don't know how much I can talk about Best of Both Worlds because it's one of those episodes that if you're a Trek fan, you know about. It's the episode where uh, the Borg return and instead of going after um, the Enterprise, they go after Picard specifically. Like they literally take Picard from the Enterprise and turn him into Locutus of Borg. And then there's the, uh, the battle at Wolf 359. Um, and the reason why 359 is so significant is because then it pivots into everything else. Like you don't, you don't get Deep Space Nine and, uh, and Benjamin Sisko without Wolf 359. So that episode kind of is the, the branching off for everything after. Uh, that's, that's where you get your Deep Space Nine. That's where you get Voyager. It's because both of those shows kind of, they stem from the repercussions of that episode. So that's one of the, it's one of the things. And it's just really well written. Like you get uh, motion from everyone. Everyone has their moment to um, to shine. You have Picard. Uh, you have Picard like dealing with the loss of self. You have his crew fighting not only to stop the Borg, but also to rescue him when everyone is telling them to do the opposite. You have Riker uh, stepping up as captain. You even have a moment where Guinan who uh, even at that point, um, uh, Guinan played by Whoopi Goldberg, even at that point, who has never expressed to anyone her relationship with Picard, other than the fact that everyone knows that the two of them are close. Like you have Guinan who says she's already mourning him, but she, th- but the Borg is so dangerous. Like she's willing to let him go to just, and just telling you know, Riker, you've got to stop thinking about him as being Picard because it's going to cloud all of your decisions. You're going to have to actually be the captain of the ship. So this that uh, heart to heart that they have is really good. And even the fact that like Picard, like Riker takes in everyone's advice and still does his own thing and it works out is one of the reasons why if you really, you know, if you watch the the show, um, 
you can absolutely understand why they keep offering him his own commissions. Like they keep offering him his own captains captaincy and and you wonder why he doesn't take his own ship but then considering like most of the fleet is destroyed at wolf anyway like there's kind of a reason why at that point so that's best of both worlds now the next episode i'm going to talk about is episode 14 of season four and that one is called clues now i've talked about clues before in fact if you go to my website if you go to superpoweredfancast.com you will actually uh, find an article, an editorial I wrote, which is kind of like a review of the entire episode, like the things that I liked, the things that I didn't like. Um, just kind of talking about, uh, just kind of as a, as, a, as a throwback to just kind of my favorite episodes uh, of Next Generation, just in written form. But you can find my review of Clues. But just in a nutshell, um, Clues, which aired February 11th, 1991, uh, takes place when uh, the crew wakes up, like literally just wakes up on board the Enterprise. The only person who is, has been awake the entire time is Data, and Data tells them that they've, you know, they've hit a, you know, they they hit an anomaly that knocked everyone out. But because he's an android, he did, it didn't affect him, and they were out for like six seconds before he, you know, before he uh, revived everybody by pumping a pumping gas through the uh, the ventilation systems. So they all wake up and they think that, you know, they think that just this six seconds has passed and they're thankful and they keep going. Um, but they were there investigating an M-class planet, which apparently is, is gone. But when it turns out that some things have been, have been altered in the timeline, it, it leads Picard to, to question whether or not data is lying and Data, who is an android and is incapable of lying, um, that it make it makes that mystery deeper. Like yeah, and because it's called clues, that's the reason why you have clues. You have um, if they've been, you have clues like uh, Worf's wrist was broken and reset, like and then, um, which and shows uh, twenty four hours worth of healing. You have Doctor Crusher who had an experiment going. That shows 24 hours of growth. So if they were only knocked out for six seconds, why are there so many instances on the ship where 24 hours have passed? And just the way that they kind of work it out as Picard decides to turn the ship around and go back to the M-class planet, despite uh, Data's objections, uh, really wraps up well. Uh, the story wraps up really well, and I, and I really enjoy it. And that's why... It's actually kind of why I kind of wrote, I wrote about it because I like the I like the fact that that data that that everyone took these steps and that they got it wrong. They not only got not they got it wrong and then they had to fix their mistake and that that was interesting that, that because not everything was perfect. Now season five of uh, the Next Generation, uh, two episodes that I really enjoyed from that one. The first one is. Uh, episode 18 and it was called cause and effect now it originally aired uh, march 23rd 1992 and it's the it's the episode that introduces the uss bozeman and it's one and there have been kind of time travel and time specific episodes up to then but this one i kind of like because this one actually started off with the enterprise being destroyed and then having to and then the then the credits begin, so that immediately just kind of you know just kind of popped out at you, 
and then seeing it being destroyed over and over and over again. It was just it was interesting to see. And then seeing how, and this one's actually kind of, again, more of a data episode because data is the one that just kind of picks up remnants of each time they've been destroyed. Like just kind of remnants, uh, like almost echoes of previous, uh, previous encounters. So he's trying to figure out, uh, what's going on. And then everyone else is too. Like they're, they're, they're starting to see it as well. Like people are having like nightmares of, uh, of the ship being destroyed. So just kind of all of those clues coming together. And then, um, the fact that you had both Picard and Riker have solutions for getting out of the uh, anomaly they find themselves in. And it takes data using like using these kind of repetitive patterns that everyone's trying to understand to decide whose plan is the one that's actually going to work. So that was a uh, cause and effect. Now the next episode uh, is one that again that a lot of people know and have talked about and it's called the inner light now the inner light was the 25th uh, episode of season five and it originally aired um june 1st 1992 and the reason why it's significant is because even though the beginning of the episode takes place on uh on the enterprise um, once uh, Picard is kind of hit by uh, the particle stream from the probe, the rest of the episode takes place on uh, on the planet Catan. And just the fact that he wakes up knowing who he is, but everyone believes that he's a man named Cayman, and they treat him as such. Like the and just the fact that he's trying to, you know, find a way a means of escape. But once he realizes that he can't. He actually, you know, settles into the life of Cayman. Like he, you know, is married. He has children. Um, he works uh, to to try and help uh, the planet who, which is suffering from um, from uh, from earthquakes. Um, and it's it's a bittersweet episode because he lives an entire lifetime as uh, as Cayman only to find out at the end that that was the point of the probe that the, uh, that the planet had died. And in order to preserve their culture, uh, they created this scenario that they created like this, this, uh, probe that would seek out, um, a person and give them, the memories of this uh, planet and its culture that has been long since dead. So it was, uh, um, it was a very bittersweet episode. And again, it was another kind of, you know, you know, Picard acting it up uh, episode um, that I really enjoyed. And uh, going into season six, um, season six, like there were, there were some good episodes in season six, but the only one that really kind of stood out to me was a two parter, that happened in the middle of the first season. Like it wasn't like the season finale. Um, it was, uh, it was an episode called uh, chain of command and it happened in two parts. Like the first part, um, aired, uh, December 14th, 1992. And the second part aired December, uh, 21st, 1992. And this one was significant because you had 
just a a big kind of uh, upheaval of everything you'd been following for the entire for the entire like six seasons uh, so far. So you had Starfleet bring in a new captain of the Enterprise, uh, Edward Jellico, and because they sent, they decided they were going to send Picard, uh, Worf, and Crusher on a secret mission. Uh, to determine whether or not the Cardassians were uh, had a secret base in, uh, in Federation territory. And Picard is captured. Like, uh, Worf and Crusher escape, and Picard not only is captured but by the Cardassians, but is tortured. Um, just, like, menace, just, like, tortured by, uh, by Gold Madrid. And it's significant because you see um, Riker and the rest of the crew dealing with Jellico and his, um, you know, and his command style, which is just very, you know, off-putting. Like he, he determines, like he, he has the, the ability to, um, to save Picard from torture by declaring um, that he was on a mission from Starfleet, but Jellico refuses like he he refuses to admit that uh that Picard was sent on a Starfleet mission so Picard is tortured for uh because he's not considered a prisoner of war. The episode's also significant because uh not only do you have that clash between uh Jellico and Riker where Riker gets uh relieved of duty, but you also have um Jellico and this is almost kind of an aside like you have Jellico telling um Counselor Troy that her uh, uniform is um, inappropriate. So you actually at this point have uh, Counselor Troy like wearing an actual Starfleet uniform from this point forward. And that's um, I just found that part funny because apparently like it's, she's been non-reg for like six seasons already. And, it, and as someone tell and there's literally uh, someone telling her to cover up. So um so that was Chain of Command. Now, again, there's a lot of good episodes uh, that season, um, but that two-part episode is just, it really stands out. And especially because you got, you know, that famous, uh, that famous line from Picard at the end. Now, season seven, um, I picked uh, two episodes. Um, now, as much as I loved the the series finale, All Good Things, uh, these episodes I enjoyed because they're just kind of quintessential uh, Trek, but they're also really good kind of character episodes, like just really good character moments and character studies. And the first one is Dark Page. Now, Dark Page is the seventh episode of season seven, and this one is actually all about um, Loaxana Troy. So it's just very it's, it's centered uh, specifically on um, on Loaxana's character, and she's been uh, negotiating with a a species that only communicates telepathically. So they sent her uh, as a ambassador from beta Z, 
um, to use her uh, telepathic abilities to to talk with him. So, of course, uh, she meet, she goes to the Enterprise to meet with her daughter, Deanna Troy, and, um, and the rest of the crew. But what they don't know is that she is suffering like this, the prolonged um, use of her telepathic abilities um, is affecting her mentally. And then it turns out that she's been suppressing a memory from everyone, including Deanna. And it's a, it's a memory of uh, that's very significant to the point where she does everything mentally in her mind. When Deanna tries to connect with her to, to bring her out of a coma, like her mind literally fights, fights her own daughter to keep her from learning the truth. And that truth being that Deanna had an older sister that drowned um, when she was an infant and uh, Loaxana just like suppressed that memory because right after that Deanna's father died um, you know on a mission for Starfleet because he was a Starfleet officer so Loaxana who you know up to that point like every episode Loaxana had been in like she was the she was the the playful antagonist like she was always the one who was who was fun and and lively and and you never took her seriously so whenever she was on an episode it was just very it was very light and and she was there for uh for comedy but this was like the first episode where she was where she was portrayed as you know being a i'd say almost a a a more well-rounded person like she like they they stripped away kind of the comedy and she was able to and just played the the tragedy of of those scenes just amazingly like you could feel um just even from a, from an acting perspective you kind of you could you could you could feel the emotion in that scene like it's in those scenes especially uh between the two of them um it was just uh it, it was a great episode and it, again not a not a lot of special effects in fact, I don't even remember any special effects in the episode. It wasn't like, it wasn't, you know, a whole lot of, uh, it wasn't a whole lot of, you know, outside space stuff. It was really more just kind of like an inner, uh, an inner study in, uh, in loss. So that was, uh, that's one of the things I enjoyed about it. And, uh, then the last episode of, uh, that I'm going to talk about that, that I enjoyed, uh, was episode 11 of season seven is called parallels. Now parallels, uh, aired November 29th, 1993. And again, if you go to superpoweredfancast.com and type in parallels in the search bar, it'll take you to my review of this episode because I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I talk about, um, just, uh, quantum fissures and, and, uh, that in quantum theory where every decision that you make, uh, there's an infinite amount of uh, of things that can happen and then and actually do in parallel dimensions. So that this episode uh, parallels deals with uh, Worf coming back from a Batleth tournament and uh, him entering into one of those uh, fissures. So he's shifting, not through time, but from dimension to dimension. So you get to see different, uh, different dimensions at work. Like you get to see, uh, a dimension where, um, Picard isn't rescued by Riker. He's actually killed by the Borg. So Riker's captain of the Enterprise. 
you have a a universe where um where uh Jordy and Data are are both dead. You have a universe where um where Wesley is a full lieutenant uh on board the Enterprise. You have a, a universe where um Worf is the first officer. Um and then you have a universe where uh and where the one significant um aspect of it is is that Worf is married to Troy. So just the fact that he's shifting from from universe to universe and retaining his memories of the universe that he's in. Like it's not like he's that he, it's not like he's shifting and doesn't know who he is and what's going on. Like he knows he is, but he just knows that something is different. Because all of those all of those decisions have created its their own reality. Just their and those realities are fully formed and uh, and operating on a different subspace frequency than the one that we see. So, uh, and even just the reveal that it's uh, that it's Jordy's visor that's moving him from universe to universe because of a, uh, a quantum singularity pulse that it that it emits so that Jordy can see that's even significant. So it even happens like even after like Jordy's dead, like Jordy dies in one of the universes, but his visor keeps moving, uh, wharf around. So that's it. I mean, those are my, uh, those are my two. And they're not all my favorite episodes, but there are two significant episodes from each season of, uh, Star Trek, the next generation, uh, just two episodes that I, that I really enjoyed. And I would love to know what yours are. Like, what are your favorite episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation? Like, always, you can uh, contact me uh, at superpoweredfancast at gmail.com. You can email me. I will email you back. You can follow me on Twitter at superpoweredfan. Uh, you can read my uh, reviews and articles. And you can read all of my Star Trek, uh, all my Star Trek musings and writings on uh, superpoweredfancast.com. Uh, you can read my DC Comics uh, reviews and some of my uh, movie reviews uh, through uh, Geeks Worldwide on the GWW.com. And um, and uh, keep tuning in because we should be having some more guests uh, coming on soon. Um, can't tell you who they are because, frankly, I don't know. But once I know, you'll know because I'll promote the hell out of it. But i um, hoping to get uh, Scott Snyder back on the show uh, since uh, DC Metal is in, uh, is in full swing. But um, until then, uh, this is Darren for Super Powered Fancast signing off saying I will see you next week. This has been a production of the GWW Radio Network. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Also, check out Geeks Worldwide at thegww.com for all the latest news, reviews, and opinions on video games, comics, movies, TV, cosplay, and more. Geeks Assemble!